little kid. Imagine that you're back as a little kid again, and maybe probably most of us have had an experience like this. Let's just imagine that you're shopping at the grocery store with your mom, and you get separated. Remember that? I'm sure it happened to most of you at some point. And so there you are, you're looking all around and you're starting to panic and you're starting to worry and you can't find her. And just before you start to cry, you see what looks like her shadow at the end of the aisle. And it starts to give you some hope. But let me ask you, what's better? Seeing the shadow at the end of the aisle or when you see your mom turn around the corner and there she is with her arms out? Which one's better? Your actual mom, right? Well, that's the way it was when Jesus, the long-expected Messiah, who had been waited for for generation after generation, kids grew up in Jewish households hearing about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of Kings that would come, and they grew up and they died, and it never happened until it happened. There was the foreshadows, the shadows, the prophecies of the real thing. And then, on Christmas, it happened. And so good morning, Community Grace and friends, guests, if you're joining us. We're so glad that you did on this first day of Advent, the Christmas season. Now, maybe not everybody knows what the word Advent means. It literally means coming, the coming of Christ, the first Advent of Christ. And we still look forward now where we live to the second Advent of Christ. But the first Advent is the Christmas season. He's coming, he's coming. Who's coming? Who's coming? The the Savior of the world, the King of Kings, the Messiah. The Savior, his name we gave him when he became a human, is Jesus. And we're going to hear all about this today and for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a kind of a four-week tradition in church history that grew over the years uh, to celebrate the Old Testament's leading up to Uh, the moment that it happened, and then everything that Christmas represents. So we're kicking all that off today, and I'm so glad that you're here to do that with us. So the first candle in the Advent, the traditional Advent candle, is the prophecy candle, and we look at all the prophecies and long-awaited expectation of the Messiah's coming throughout the entire Old Testament. It's also the candle of hope. I mean, what, what is more hopeful than all of those promises from God being fulfilled? And all the more promises that we have from God still being fulfilled today and in the future. We Christians have the full right to be the most hope-filled people on planet Earth. Amen? That's because our trust is placed in the only trustworthy God. And that's exactly where Matthew's gospel begins. And that's where we are today. Open your Bibles and your sermon notes. Uh, to Matthew chapter 1, and your sermon notes are in your bulletin. Aaron's bringing them around. If you didn't get a bulletin, raise your hand, and he'll put, put one in your hand. I love having the sermon notes, even if you don't write anything, uh, to follow along with. And today, we begin our journey verse by verse through the entire book of Matthew. It's a big book. We're going to have a lot of fun. Matthew's emphasis is Jesus is the king, the king of all kings. Just in case you, you weren't aware... The New Testament begins with four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I remember a guy saying, the first time he ever picked up the Bible and read it, he's like, that sounds really familiar. And then I got to the third book, that sounds really familiar. That's right, four different gospel accounts from different people written to a different audience 
to give a full, well-rounded picture of the life, person, works, death, burial, resurrection, promises of Jesus, the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. There it is, the New Testament, the, the, the inauguration of the church age which we live in today. It all begins right here, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We are kicking that off today. And Matthew, his opening 17 verses, which honestly, maybe some of you have skipped over. I probably have throughout the course of my life. And we'll see why when we open your Bibles today. Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses are Jesus' genealogy. But here's, here's the magnificence of these opening 17 verses that we are blessed to go through today. These verses establish the truth that Jesus is the king of kings, well established, but he does so in the most relatable of ways, personal to us. He demonstrates through, these, through this genealogy that Jesus' story is also our story, and his blessings are rich toward us. Let's begin with the first truth that we see from Matthew's opening of the New Testament. Point one on your notes that you see is Jesus is the king and Christ. What you're looking at here is the very first opening line in the entire New Testament. And Matthew immediately identifies Jesus as the king of everything that exists. He's the king of all kings. And he's the promised Christ, the savior of the world. Let's look at these opening words of the New Testament. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're going to look at each of those parts together now. Look closely at first thing we see is Jesus' name. The son of God, eternal, in accordance to the timing of his plan, became one of us. He broke through human history and became one of us, and they gave him a human name, the name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the word Joshua, which is Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord God is salvation. The angel in next week's passage actually proclaims why this name. He says, she will again, verse 21, he will give, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So right off the bat, his name proclaims he's the Savior. Now, the word Christ is not his last name, no matter how it sounds and how people use it today. It's not his last name. It's a title, the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the word Messiah or anointed one of God, the Savior. So, he is the, right off the bat, in the first eight words, Matthew is proclaiming, in all this history, Jesus is the anointed one, the long-awaited king, Jesus. Matthew comes out swinging right off the bat here and says, the awaited king is here. Now, he continues with two more titles that he gave Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, he's proclaiming, he's proclaiming that Jesus is king. Let's look at that real quick. The son of David means he is the king. Let's go back to the Old Testament. King David was the greatest king in Israel's history, one of the greatest kings of all in all of human history to ever live. 
And when David was king of Israel, that was 1,000 years before Jesus, David wanted to build God a temple. And here's how God responded. We go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 to see this conversation. God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. So far he's talking about Solomon, David's son, but listen to this switch here. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And David's son, sure enough, built the, ta- the temple of God, the physical temple. But that word forever is the key here. God promised David that one from his line, from his lineage, we hear about the Christmas story from his lineage of David. That sounds familiar. Here's God's promise that one from his lineage would rule as king forever. That is King Jesus, and that promise is still alive and active today and will be in its full fulfillment in the future from now even. Now in the 1,000 years between David and Christ, lots of prophets came on the scene and prophesied, proclaimed God's plan of salvation through this king, and that's why the first of the Advent candles is the prophecy candle. He's coming, he's coming, who's coming? The king of all that exists, the Messiah, savior of the world, God's Messiah. Let's just consider the passages that Jose read just a few minutes ago, just so we put them in the context of this story. In the third chapter of the Bible is where the first prophecy of the Messiah comes from. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the offspring of Eve is the serpent crusher, and the first prophecy is given. Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, he shall crush your head, you shall bruise his heel. That was the crucifixion, the very first prophecy in the Bible. Lots of time passes, and then hundreds of years before Jesus is born, the prophet Isaiah and lots of other prophets give more information as time goes on about this coming king. Isaiah writes, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Listen to this son, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, wow, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of peace, of the increase of his government, that's the expanding of his kingdom, and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that's the kingdom that's already here, but not fully developed yet. We're a part of that and the growth of that. Jeremiah 23 adds, again, another dynamic about Jesus, this king. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. These passages and many, many others, hundreds of others throughout the Old Testament, describe the coming and the eternal reign of Jesus the Christ, the king. And he came At Christmas, it was all fulfilled, all the prophecies about his first coming, literally fulfilled. And guess what? We have hundreds more about his second coming that we still anticipate today. 
after son of David, we're still in the first verse here, by the way, the first opening words of the New Testament. The rest won't be this long, but that's okay. After this title, the son of David, the king of all kings, he gives him one more title, the son of Abraham. Now remember, Matthew's gospel account was written to the Jewish Christians. The others were written to Romans and the Greeks and then a theological book, John. But Matthew's audience was the Jewish believers, and they instantly knew all that that title meant. He's the son of Abraham? Whoa. Father Abraham. Being the son of Abraham means that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. For this, we go back again to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, this time chapter 12. Look at this, when God makes his covenant with Abraham, and he talks about Jesus, what he's going to fulfill in all of the world, which includes this very room right now. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says, Abe, I'm calling you to start something new that is going to eventually from your seed, from your line, bless with salvation all the people groups in the entire world. That's the mission of Jesus, and it's still going on today. It's our mission. That's the unfolding plan of God that happens through us today. Jesus came on Christmas as the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the center of the story. He's the purpose of the story. He's the center of the story of all time, of all the universe. He's at the center of God's story, and he's at the center of your story and of mine. He should be. It would do well for you if he, Jesus the King, is the center of your life. Speaking of our life, as Matthew's pen continues to write, and he goes on now to what we call verse 2, verse 2 through 16, he writes and he traces Jesus' genealogy, his family tree. And we find in point two here, Jesus' genealogy, and for all of you taking notes, yes, you learn how to spell genealogy here. It's a little tricky. Genealogy, that's your family line. And we're going to find this beautiful discovery that Jesus' genealogy connects us in God's story. As we look at the text here in, in the next few moments, notice that Matthew does not begin with the words, once upon a time. He doesn't, nothing like that, in fact, because it's not a fairy tale or a fable or fiction. No, this is historical fact that Jesus God's son broke into human history, and here's the truth about it. Look at the language here. He begins with Jesus' genealogy, and we're going to find out some really important and cool stuff in it. Let's check it out. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus' genealogy, verses 2 through 16, is divided into three parts, three groups of 14 names. Now, in our last verse today, which we'll come back to in a little bit, Verse 17, Matthew explains why he broke them up into three chunks of 14. Group pairs of seven. 
we'll keep, we'll keep that in mind, but right now let's focus on the fact that it's important to understand Matthew is not giving the complete genealogy of Jesus. That might be new to you. Uh, you, you might think, well, this is the whole genealogy. I've heard this preached, that this is the whole ge- genealogy of, a- of Abraham to gene- Jesus. But any historian who's good at math or any mathematician who's good at history will be able to tell you 14 times 3 is 42. 42 generations is not enough to span 2,000 years of history. And so already we get a clue, and these are clues that, again, Matthew's original audience would have picked up on right away. They would have understood what Matthew's doing here. And I want to make sure that all of us understand this today because it's very significant. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. They would have recognized right away what he was doing. I'll tell you exactly what he was doing. Let's read the first group of 14 names. Why, why did he select the 14, 14, 14, and arrange them this way. So I'm going to read the first 14 names, but verses 2 through the first part of 6. But instead of the words, was the father of, I'm going to use the King James word, begat. Okay? As I read this. And when I'm finished, I'll tell you why. Here we go. Verse 2 through 6. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judah and his brothers. And Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, begat Hezron. And Hezron begat Ram. And Ram begat Aminadab. And Aminadab begat Nashon. And Nashon begat Solomon. And Solomon begat Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David begat Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, why did I choose to read with the word begat instead of the father of? This is the reason. Because it's not true that all of those names were the literal father of the next name. Uh, A better translation would be forefather. The Greek word is actually genea from which we get the word uh, genealogy or generation. And it literally means was the ancestor of. Okay, not the direct father necessarily. Some were, some weren't. What Matthew is doing here is it's called, he's telescoping history. He's got 2,000 years and he's choosing 42 names to represent the 2,000 years that he's expanding. That means there's some reason that he's organizing this into three groups of 14 and choosing these names. And when we get to the final verse today, verse 17, I'll explain more about exactly what he's doing there. But let's look at this point right now. What he's doing here is connecting us in God's story. He intentionally selects the people he's going to put in Jesus' genealogy in order to teach us this important point, that this genealogy speaks to all of us, all of you, all of me, And everybody that lives, he's connecting us in his story. Now, listen, everyone, because this is where this gets deeply personal. God has always said and continues to say today, I will fulfill my promises. But you know what? There's there's some of you here who are feeling a different way right now or have felt this way in the past. This feeling kind of comes and goes or somebody close to you feels this way. Something that says, well, I'm a Christian, 
I'm a believer, but it doesn't seem to me like God is coming through for me. I just don't sense that. Or maybe, maybe it's because of me. Maybe God can't come through me. Maybe he shouldn't come through for me because I've made a mess of my life. I've done foolish things. I've hurt people so bad, and I've made stupid decisions. And maybe I'll never have forgiveness, acceptance, purpose, or any of these great things that God has promised. Life seems rather hopeless. There are people who feel that way in here today, or who will in the future, or have in the past, or know somebody who is going through a feeling like that. Brothers, sisters, friends, look at Jesus' genealogy. Look at Jesus' genealogy. In verse 2, it says, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, then it says, Jacob begat Judah. Do you know how Jacob begat Judah? The background story of this? Now, this is what Matthew chose to put in, the genealogy. The story is that Jacob lied, and he destroyed his family by doing so. He lied. He pretended to be Esau, his brother, to to get the, the blessing, the inheritance from his father, And because of that lie, Esau came after Jacob, after trying to kill him. And Jacob had to run. He became a fugitive on the run, and his family was broken apart from this deception. But despite the terrible consequences, despite being a fugitive on the run, Jacob meets Rachel, the love of his life. And then even then, Rachel's father tricks him. And there's more deception, and Jacob marries Leah. But from that union, all that deception and all that running and all that life-threatening and trickery, from that union comes the Messiah. Even through Jacob, his messed up life, that he messed up with sin, God doesn't put your plan, your life, on plan B. This was not plan B. Jesus is the redeemer of all things. In verse 3, Tamar was the first woman mentioned in Jesus' line. First of all, in most of all world history, women aren't mentioned in genealogy. And in Jesus' genealogy, four women are included. Who was Tamar? Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, And it was through sinful incest that led to the birth of Perez. Yet the Messiah came through Perez's line. God is getting our attention here. Matthew is getting our attention. The second woman mentioned is Rahab. In verse 5, who was Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute who had a change of heart and worshipped God and believed in God. And Rahab begat Boaz with Salmon, and it's spelled salmon, but he's not a fish, so I'm including the L in the pronunciation there. Salmon. And then Boaz begat Obed by Ruth, the third woman in Jesus' genealogy. Who was Ruth? Ruth was a Moabite, a pagan society that was known for their sexual immorality who were at one time forbidden to even assemble with God's people. Who do we have so far? 
in Jesus' genealogy. We have women, pagans, adulterers, sinners, the morally outcast, the hated, the poor. We also have the admired, the rich, and the powerful. And we have every ethnic group, this great diversity. Guess what? None who come to faith in Christ, no matter who you are, what you've done, it doesn't matter. No matter what your status is, high or low, none who come to him are plan B. The Messiah himself was not plan B. This is his genealogy. Do you see the first point of the genealogy of Jesus is that God works out his purposes and he will fulfill his promises to anyone and everyone who comes to him. That is good news. In the second set of 14 names, as we continue in the text, we see the second group is David's kingly line. And the kingly line of David actually begins with the fourth woman, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah Uriah the Hittite, who David killed so he could have adultery with Bathsheba and marry her which produced baby Solomon, who became king after David. That's like a major soap opera there, isn't it? Wow. Let's read the second set of names here, from David to the Babylonian exile, this chunk of history. Starting in the second part of verse 6. And Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat Abijah, and Abijah begat Asaph, and Asaph begat Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Uzziah, and Uzziah begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Ahaz, and Ahaz begat Hezekiah, and Hezekiah begat Manasseh. Manasseh, I just read this in 2 Chronicles, he was the biggest turnaround story maybe in history. He was the most evil king his entire life, did the wickedest of things, but then at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, returns to God and confesses, and God fully restores him. Wow, what a turnaround. No one's ever too late. No one. That's Manasseh. Manasseh begat Amos. Amos begat Josiah, the good boy, Josiah. And Josiah begat Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Just read the books of Kings and Chronicles, and you'll read all about those guys. And what you'll see is some of them are pretty good. Most of them were very bad. Some were the worst and most evil people that have ever lived. Reading these names for the original audience of Matthew would have stirred up all kinds of thoughts and memories and emotions. Wow. Consider all of these people. They knew all about these names. And they're, they're getting this point. Jesus, family line, wow. Well, in the third set of 14... In verses 12 through 16, Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy from the Babylonian invasion, where they left off, where we left off, all the way up to the birth of Christ. Let's read these names, Matthew 12, 1, 12 through 16. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, sorry, begat, and Shealtiel begat Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, 
and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan the father begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And with this, Matthew finishes his deeply connecting and rich genealogy of Jesus, all the way up to Joseph and Mary and their baby Jesus, who is called Christ. All in all, that is one crooked family tree. And that's God's point. That's actually God's point in every part of the Christmas story. That God came not just for the rich and powerful and wealthy to do earthly, powerful things. He came for everybody. For everyone. He's the Savior, God's salvation to everyone, everyone who believes in him. I just want to pause for Matthew to say, how does God save us and why does God save us? We all Listen, we're all in the same boat. We inherited a sin nature and we perpetuate it every time we sin. God, perfect, almighty God, can't be in the presence of sinners. We stand condemned before a holy God. That's the truth. That's our condition. And yes, he's prepared a place for Satan and his demons, the lake of fire and hell, the torment. His righteous judge, justice sends us there because we've earned it when, if we reject him and his salvation. But he sent his salvation, and Jesus earned it for us. But how did he do that, and, and how do we inherit our salvation, and, and why? Why does he save us at all? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 answers both of these questions. And the answer is, solely by his grace, and why? For the purposes of God in this world. Look with me in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which proclaims, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. And so please never get caught up or tricked by works-based salvation theologies of any kind. Here it says, not a result of works, lest no one should boast. It is by grace alone. It's the gift of God. And then verse 10 tells us why. Why? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That's your new creation. Once you trust Jesus, you're created in Jesus for good works. After salvation, now you do the good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's how and why we are saved. And friend, if you have not trusted Christ, you might have grown up in this church, but you've never actually done this. Repent from your own worship of yourself and your own agendas and your own self-sufficiency and believe in Jesus and receive him. If God's calling you to do that today, you can, and I pray that you will. And if you do, would you tell us about it so we can rejoice, so we can talk about baptism, and so we can become discipled together. That means a follower of King Jesus. That's the mission he gave us for the rest of our lives. This is the greatest truth in the world and the biggest decision you'll ever make, and I pray that you'll make it today, this Christmas season. So Matthew comes out swinging for the fences, right at the beginning of his book, right at the beginning of the New Testament. Jesus is the long-awaited king. He's finally come. Jesus is the king of all that exists. His family line proves it 
and it proves that he offers salvation to everyone who comes to him. It gets better. Let's end today with the third point, with the truth that can really authentically make this Christmas season, this year, your greatest season of rest that you've ever had. Hear the word of God. Point three is that Jesus brings Sabbath rest on Christmas. And it's yours if you take it. Earlier I explained that Matthew is telescoping history. He's chosen 42 names to highlight to make his points. His final reason to do for doing so was draw attention to the number seven. The 14s, 14, 14 are pairs of sevens. Seven, the day of the Sabbath, was the, the number of God. And it was the most important number through all the Old Testament. Let's look at how he closes, Matthew closes the genealogy with verse 17. This is his summary statement. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deport, deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Again, his original audience would have seen exactly what he's doing with the numbers, multiples of seven. The seventh day in all their history was the Sabbath day. All of the Old Testament history and their entire identity and their culture and their practice was surrounded by the Sabbath. The law, Sabbath, the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, a day of rest, a day of worship. The seventh year was the Sabbath year when all the fields rested from producing. And the Sabbath year of Jubilee, after seven sevens, the 49th year, the 50th year was when all the debts that were owed were rested and forgiven. The Sabbath was extremely important to, to God all along, and he jealously protected it with judgments, severe judgments, if they broke it. Why was the Sabbath so important to God over those 1,500 years of Israel's history that he so jealously protected and highlighted the Sabbath? It was because they were all pointing to, and they were all shadows of, just remember the mom in the grocery store, they were all shadows and pointing to what was fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus, once he came as God's promised king and promised Messiah, is where we get the fullness of our rest from. And Jesus proclaims this himself. Matthew 12, 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's why we don't worship on Saturdays anymore. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, the fulfillment of it. And he says, only Jesus brings you to a deep spiritual rest. Some of you really need this message at Christmas. You have all the reason in the world to be at total peace and rest. He says, whatever your burden is, put it on me. I'll carry it. My yoke is easy and light. He takes your burdens from you and gives you rest. Nobody else in the world has what we have in Jesus. Scientists tell you that the more important than how long you sleep at night is that if you get REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, that deep sleep, if you get that, then you feel rested. That's the deep sleep that you need. Jesus gives our soul that kind of rest. And he proclaims this in the gospel, which listen to this again, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this. It is that you are more wicked than you ever dared believe. And that is true. You are more wicked than you ever dared believe. And 
you are more fully loved, forgiven, accepted, and released in Jesus than you ever dared hope. That's yours through your faith and trust in Jesus. Matthew's begats prove it all. The prophecies were fulfilled. Hope arrived, and it's ours in Jesus through Christmas. Amen? Amen. Now, to fully solidify this in your minds, we have a little um, special for you. And I'm going to call up some of my family members and Tristan to come up and join me on stage right now. Uh, last year, if you were around and remember, um, I, with these three daughters that are actually coming up just now, uh, did a shepherd skit for Christmas. We're big fans of Christmas. What can we say? Um, we're not doing a skit this year, but we're going to do a song. And the song is called Matthew's Begats, written by... Andrew Peterson, and we picked up Andrew Peterson's Christmas album this year, and it's very good, and this song is on there. So we're going to sing this to us. The words will be on the screen. He's a little bit loose with the text, so we're putting the word on the screen. And just ask that you worship God and thank him for Jesus, the King, the Messiah, Let's enjoy this together. That's ready?
now you'll never read Matthew 1, 1 through 17 the same again, will you? I know we won't. Oh, thanks. And thanks, Tristan, for helping our little amateur band sound decent. Uh, I'm going to give you three next steps to take today. In light of all this that has been proclaimed from God's word through his Holy Spirit, number one, trust Jesus, trust King Jesus today. If you haven't done that yet, today could be the day of your salvation and a whole new life. Everything, and we're just scratching the surface today, can be yours today. Again, write that on your communication card if you would, or, or want to talk to somebody about that, and, and we'll, we'll talk, and we'll have that conversation. We'll open God's word. Second, as we said, today's the first day of Advent, so I want to encourage you strongly to celebrate all 28 days of Advent. This is a great, uh, rich blessing uh, to celebrate this in your household, whether you're alone or have a family or friends. And we are selling this book, which I have found the best resource to celebrate Advent, full sensory uh, experiences, songs, worship, and um, activities. And we're selling those in the back. Uh, so please stop by and get one of those if you'd like to. Uh, also, come every week, invite friends. Hey, the door is wide open always to the community here. Uh, next Sunday is the choir is going to sing, and then we have the Christmas concert of prayer right after the service where we pray. I mean, that, we want to be um, proclaiming Jesus' gospel and on his mission. It all starts in prayer. So plan to come to that. And then December 12th is the children's Christmas program, which is always a great highlight. Right on up to our Christmas Eve service. Make the most of this season for God's glory. And then finally is the Worship the King Christmas offering. Uh, that is a powerful way to give back and worship everything that God has blessed you with out of your abundance or even sacrificial. This is not under compulsion. This is over and above normal giving. And uh, the testimony in Scripture of these kind of giving opportunities uh, is all over the pages of Scripture. When we talk about advancing the gospel, building the kingdom of God, uh, obeying the work that he's given the church to do, these four uh, items are exactly uh, for those, the focus items. And I just want you, if you didn't get a letter in the mail, there's a stack of them at the, uh, the connections table in the back. So just pick one of those up, and that runs through the end of January. And uh, it tells a little bit about the story of last year's and, and some of the fruit that was possible from that. So that's, again, between you and God, and give however God uh, directs you to. Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll stand up and sing all together. God, we thank you that you've allowed your Holy Spirit to do in us through it. I pray that, I pray that we're transformed. I pray that we're um, filled with the fullness of, of the hope being fulfilled. I pray that we receive the Sabbath rest and so much more that you have to give us what our souls need. Through Jesus, our King, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.